You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, folks, and welcome to AOA. Thanks for making us a part of your day on the operation today. Certainly do appreciate you tuning in. We've got a lot to cover today. We're going to talk about the cattle market here first in just a moment with Chris Winward of the Swift Trading Company. And then in segment two, we're going to talk about the challenges truckers are facing on the West Coast. Bryce Mongin, Director of Legislative Affairs with the Owner-Operator Independent Drivers Association, will bring us up to speed on the ongoing battle against California's AB5. And then in segment three, we're going to get a new voice here on the AOA radio show. We're going to talk, rather, with Josh Bakey. He's the new Farm Progress Policy Reporter. We've got things moving in D.C. Josh is going to bring us up to speed on preventing foreign folks from owning farm ground and also some of the changes that EPA is looking to make on confined animal feeding operations. So stick around for the rest of the show. Before we jump into all of that, however, we do have a number of cattle producers heading down to New Orleans for Wednesday, Thursday, Friday's NCBA cattle convention, and it looks like they might have reason to have a little extra spring in their step. Cattle prices surged yesterday. Joining us for an update now is Chris Winward, Vice President of Swift Trading Company. And Chris, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Let's talk about yesterday's rally in the cattle market. Chris, it started, we pushed to some new, if I believe, new contract highs in at least the April live cattle complex. We did. We did. Uh, we, we did in August as well in April and uh, August stats and uh, definitely a lot of optimism as to uh, what, what's happening, uh, you know, from a technical uh, perspective on these charts here. And that's what I am curious about. Where do we sit here on the technical perspective, pushing to these new contract highs? Is this going to bring that outside money here into the cattle complex? Well, that's what t- tends to happen. Commodities are, are hot right now with uh, w- with fund traders and, um, you know, we're on everybody's radar here uh, right now. So we have fundamental reasons for cattle to push higher here. And, um, you know, we just have to see if on the front end, if, if packers are willing to, uh, to, to bid up this week. Well, and that is the million dollar question. Chris, do you remember offhand where cash trade was hanging around last week? Last week was 155.25 average. Uh, last year, though, was 136.95 for, for, for this week. Oh, man. So we've put $20 on the cash bids here for live cattle. Chris, I want to ask you, a year from now, given the fundamentals that we've got, we'll get some more data on that here, uh, well, later today with the cattle inventory report. Is there the potential that we could see fat cattle prices another $20 higher next January? Absolutely, it's possible. We've been carrying premium in the back months, and uh, they've been uh, trending higher. That is... Pretty cool to think about. Chris, let's talk technically here in these front month, spring, first quarter, 2023 cattle. With the April now above that, trading in new contract high territories, what are you watching for the next technical level of resistance here for this uh, this live cattle market? About 50 cents higher, there's there's some resistance. And, um, you know, if you watch these moving averages, 21 day and uh, the 40 day moving average, um, you know, if we stay above them, uh, above those averages, um, you know, then, then we're going to continue to push higher here. It's been a while since we've had a close uh, below the 40-day. Um, so, you know, a, a lot of technical traders, guys that don't usually trade these markets that, that want to jump in on on a move like this are, are watching those. Now, that's interesting. The 21 and the 40-day, those are the two the two moving averages you like to watch here in the live cattle complex. Chris, is that also true in the feeder cattle complex? In the feeders as well. Yeah, so we, you know the uh, 21, 40 day, 100 day, and 200 day are moving averages that a lot of people watch. All right, so with this push into this new territory, we're watching that 50 cent target here above where we're at sitting in the April. Chris, I want to turn our focus to the feeder cattle market because over the past couple of months, the stories from cattle barns across the country has been this market is hot, the cash side is moving, farmers want those feeders. Does that correspond with what you've been hearing from folks across the country? Absolutely. Absolutely. So you know, the question with, with um, buying feeder cattle is you, know, you have to measure your input costs. And that's something that 
you know, we've been struggling with, that, uh, you know, uh, feeders have been struggling with. So, you know, that's something that uh, we have to think about, you know, from trading the corn market, uh, you know, ways to, to manage that. Well, and that's the thing, Chris. I mean, as these folks are stepping into these auction barns, they're buying very high-priced physical feeders. And is there an option right now for managing that risk, hedging in even a break-even, or is there a profit potential anywhere on the board right now for these feeders coming on the feed right now? So I think you can use option strategies uh, to, to, to manage your input costs uh, in, in terms of, of corn. Um, you know, and, and again, that goes back to the question of what are funds doing? You know, I, I, these markets tend to move with with fund money, and um, you know, love it or hate it, it is a reality of our business, and uh, that's something worth paying attention to. With that being said, Chris, with fund money being a concern, particularly in the livestock markets, tomorrow's expected announcement from the Federal Reserve raising interest rates another fifty basis points is that going to be a headwind for cattle trade going forward? So the guess is is twenty five. Uh, I, it's, it's near 100% uh, probability on that, but if we get any surprise there, which certainly has happened, um, outside money, uh, you know, the the outside markets tend to dictate what these, uh, you know, what how these cattle markets trade, especially when there's, you know, um, uh, outside money trading them. But that being said, they've been pretty resilient here. You say they've been pretty resilient in here, staying staying the place, continuing to buy. So we have these big days down in the S and P where we're down seventy five bucks, and uh, you know cattle market has not been affected uh, feeders and fats in the way that, that that it used to. So there's an underlying idea here that uh, there are fundamental reasons for this, and it takes more to break it down. We look at the way they traded a year ago, two years ago. Any day we'd be down $20, $30 in the S&P, the cattle market would break a dollar. And that has not been happening. It, that's so true. And Chris, does, does that speak to commercial buying coming in? Are packers buying on the other side of these dips? It, you know, I'm not sure if they are or not. That That, that is, you know, uh, that, that would make sense. Um, but, you know, it's worth, uh, it's it definitely worth paying attention to. It is, Chris. Here over the next week, we've got the Fed announcement coming tomorrow. Are there any other news-making potentials here for this cattle trade that you're keeping an eye out on? So we definitely have this storm moving in uh, that is concerning. You know what what sort of weight loss we'll we'll get with it. Um, you know which is which is a supportive force here for for what the board's doing. That is a really good point. Of course, this massive ice storm expected to start. I think today that rain is underway across the Southern Plains, definitely going to hurt the ability of those cattle to gain as that freezing precipitation starts to fall. Folks, we have been talking here with Chris Winward. He's a vice president at Swift Trading Company, works with our good friend Chris Swift over there. Chris, thank you so much for joining us and for sharing your insight here on these cattle markets as they press into new territory in 2023. Thank you for having me. And folks, stay with us. When AOA returns, we're going to turn our focus over to the freight industry. California's AB5, the bill that categorizes truckers, or I guess removes them as independent contractors, still shaking that industry. Bryce Monja of OIDA will join us after this. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. What a great organization, helping families in need like ours. It's a godsend. When an unexpected crisis strikes, Farm Rescue is here to help. Assistance is available free of charge to farm families experiencing a major injury, illness, or natural disaster. Our volunteers and equipment are ready to spring into action with planting, haying, and harvest support. If you or someone you know could use a helping hand, visit farmrescue.org today. Are you heading to NCBA in New Orleans? February's monthly grind is taking place live on the showroom floor on Wednesday, February 1st from 9 to 10 a.m. I'll be broadcasting AOA live from the U.S. Meat Export Federation booth on behalf of the National Corn Growers Association. Also, on Thursday at 1230 in the Learning Lounge, I'll be facilitating NCGA's panel discussion with special guests from the USMEF and Port of New Orleans on what you need to know about the value of trade and exports to your operation. We'll see you in New Orleans.
I've been farming my whole life. I don't need somebody to come out here and state the obvious. I don't need anybody to explain my farm to me. My local co-op works with CHS, and they know what I need when I need it. A global network of support. Local expertise. And valuable market options. We need a co-op that's here for us. So we can own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. Certainly appreciate you joining us today. And as we think back to the 2022, one of the challenges that just kept coming up time and time again were the hangups in the supply chain. We didn't have enough workers on the railroads across the country. We didn't have enough water in the Mississippi. And America's truckers were confronting all sorts of new challenges, not least of which was a change in policy in the state of California. Assembly Bill Number 5 changed the way truck employees are categorized, and the fight against it continues. Joining us now for an update is Bryce Mongett. He's the Director of Legislative Affairs at the Owner-Operator Independent Drivers Association, or OIDA. And Bryce, thanks for joining us today. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. You know, it has been a while since we talked about Assembly Bill 5. It generated some protests at the ports last fall in 2022. But for listeners who maybe haven't been plugged into it, Bryce, remind us, what is AB 5 and how does it impact the trucking industry? Yeah, so AB 5 is a relatively new worker classification law for the state of California. And what it did was really turned employee and independent contractor classification on its head. So what AB5 is, is that it, it assumes every worker is an employee unless, um, you know, that work can meet all three prongs of what's called the ABC test. Um, and uh, what's most problematic about that ABC test is that uh, basically you have to be doing work that's outside the, the course of business for the person you're working for. So in trucking, uh, it's really difficult to kind of wrap our heads around how someone could be an independent contractor if they're performing trucking services or, you know, trucking transportation activities for a trucking company. Uh, and so what that's left us with is it seemingly AB5, uh, as a result of the ABC test, would mean uh, independent owner-operators, independent contractors would have to be classified under as employees under this law. So... That's as quickly and as briefly as I can kind of explain the law. And it's, you know, it's confusing for us when we're trying to follow it day in and day out. So I, I really sympathize for anyone who's trying to keep track of this with how many, how, how many times this has gone back and forth. 
Absolutely. I mean, it is it is truly changing the, the nature of the game for these independent mm-hmm. drivers in California. And given that's who OIDA works with, Bryce, mm-hmm. what have what have you heard from from either truckers who have now had to sign up as employees or as trucking companies? How are they handling this? Did they just find a way through? Yeah, it's really all over the board. And that's in part because we just don't know how the state is truly going to enforce this. So I um, you know, some of our uh, members have reported that they've been encouraged to to move out of state, uh, maybe to move their business organization to organize their business out of the state. Some are maybe looking at be, becoming employees or maybe even moving uh, to a two-check system like we've seen in the past where they, you know, lease their equipment to the carrier but operate as an employee uh, for the carrier. Um, so it, it's it's really all over the board, and th- again, that's because the state of California, um, <laughs> the most recent, at least the update that they've given us more or less is that uh, while these court proceedings are going on and legal challenges are going on, they said they're going to use both the old employee classification test and the new ABC test for uh, for any classification matters that, that come up before the state. So it's kind of, we're we are truly left scratching our heads um, as far as what would be a workable solution for this. And Bryce, one of the solutions you mentioned there was moving out of state. And I heard that from a lot of folks as AB5 was being discussed in 2022. But now as 2023 gets started, I understand moving out of state might not even be a solution. OIDA is working with a trucking firm in Texas who is now suing for relief under AB5. Can you tell us a little bit about how this injunction would work and what's caused it? Yeah, exactly. And so uh, what we are looking for is an injunction to prevent the enforcement of AB5, uh, basically to ensure that truckers who are uh, out of based out of state or operating out of state or only operating through uh, or in parts of California to ensure that AB5 is not enforced against them. And what we're arguing is that it is the um, United States Constitution and the federal government that has the ultimate authority to set these laws that affect interstate commerce. Uh, you know, it's pr- pretty clear why, why it's a good idea to have one, uh, more or less one set of laws that, that regulates uh, commerce between states because you don't want states erecting barriers to make it more difficult, uh, to make it more expensive or just unworkable to, to have interstate commerce. And really what California has done with AB5 is made it seemingly impossible for indi- for owner operators to operate as independent contractors if they want to basically set foot in California. So our argument is that that violates the, the U.S. Constitution. And, uh, you know, the, our, our member in Texas is just one example of, uh, of how our membership is being affected, but it's a concrete example. And that's why we're arguing and asking the state to halt enforcement because uh, our members and, and truckers across the country are facing real harms already and even more potential harm because you know, I think that's, that's something that just gets lost in this for some people is that, uh, you know, if, if you're a one-truck operation, if you have to make a decision about where you're going to shut down or what kind of loads uh, you're going to run or where you're going to run them or what are my financial risks if I violate this law, it, it will put you out of business and potentially, potentially ruin your livelihood. So uh, there's just so much at stake here, and that's what we're, we're presenting to the court. Okay, so now I want to come back to the question to the court, Bryce, because this AB5, this is a huge issue. Deciding whether or not it impacts independent drivers from outside California is vital. Mm -hmm. When this injunction goes before the court, is the question, is AB5 constitutional, yay or nay? Or is the question, does AB5, we're going to let it exist, does it apply to drivers from other states? So it's kind of both right now as we've, uh, we've presented it to the court. And really, at the stage that we're at right now, is for up for the court to make a preliminary injunction. So, I, I, it gets it gets so difficult to track exactly where this is in the process. But uh, and that's the frustration is it's seemingly that these these issues are are never done, and there's always a chance for this to, to rear its head again. But right now, we're really asking the the court to determine, and we're, we're arguing that there's enough potential harm here. Uh, for for truckers and independent contractors and we've presented enough evidence that this violates the you know the u.s constitution's interstate commerce clause that they should put a the court should put a hold on california enforcing this until 
you know, the full merits of this, or I don't want to say full merits, but the full cases argued all the way through. So, uh, you know, we're at that preliminary stage where we're just saying, hey, there's certainly enough here where the court should stop this to prevent any harm against uh, against truckers because it's, we're pretty sure that when this is ultimately decided, it will be decided in our favor. So that decision, where do things stand now? Of course, this injunction was just filed. The court system, as you mentioned, Bryce, yep. not the, the picture of lightning fast movement. When do you expect to see some progress on this injunction? So previously, you know, we're, we're still kind of watching the court schedule. Um, we're waiting for the state to file uh, its response um, kind of to the, the file its response in the broader uh, challenge and the broader trial that's going on sometime in March. And the hearing for the preliminary injunction is scheduled for May. So, you know, it's <laughs> I keep having to check what year it is <laughs> uh, when, when we're talking about this, because between, you know, all the upheaval of the last few years and how long this took to go into effect, it's hard to believe that this has been, you know, going on for so long now. But uh, but the fight against it continues. It does indeed. Folks, five years, this AB5 battle has been brewing in one form or another. We're talking with Bryce Mongen here of the Owner-Operator Independent Drivers Association. And Bryce, as you look out to other federal actions coming this year, are there other issues for truckers that uh, we need to be aware of? Yeah, so the big one that we're keeping an eye on is speed limiters and a speed limiter mandate coming from FMCSA. Uh, basically, FMCSA has already issued their like preliminary rulemaking on this, and we're expecting the next step in their proposed rulemaking to come out sometime in the spring, possibly June. But basically, what FMCSA has proposed is a one-size-fits-all speed limiter mandate for all trucks across the country, uh, and that's a big deal for our members. Uh, just safety concerns first and foremost, but also, uh, you know, for their businesses. Uh, they know they can, if they don't use a speed limiter, they can operate safely at the posted speed limit. So a speed limiter that would be set below that would, um, uh, you know, take that away from them. And, and the, especially what we're pointing to and talking to other associations here on that we work with on uh, in D.C. is that this is for all commercial vehicles over 26,000 pounds. So Sometimes when lawmakers especially think speed limiters and think, oh, we're regulating trucking, they think, you know, we're just going to regulate all the tractor trailers out on the road. But it's not just that. It is any, you know, commercial motor vehicle. So especially, you know, for your listeners, ag or many other industries, uh, it's something they need to watch out for. Absolutely, folks. I'm thinking a lot of you tuning in have vehicles that tip the scales that await heavier than that. This yep. issue is worth paying attention to. We've been talking with Bryce Monge, Director of Legislative Affairs at Awida. Bryce, thanks for joining us today. Yes, thank you. And folks, stay with us. We're going to talk Trade Promotion Authority here when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA agriculture of america don't go away more aoa coming right up are you heading to ncba in new orleans on thursday february 2nd stop by the christian hansen booth number 1639 for some exciting live radio i'll be broadcasting aoa live from the christian hansen booth that's number 1639 from 9 to 10 a.m on thursday on Friday, stop by the Learning Lounge. At 11.30, I'll be facilitating Christian Hansen's panel discussion on the benefits from the daily consumption of probiotics in beef cattle. We'll see you in New Orleans. Are you heading to NCBA in New Orleans? February's monthly grind is taking place live on the showroom floor on Wednesday, February 1st from 9 to 10 a.m. I'll be broadcasting AOA live from the U.S. Meat Export Federation booth on behalf of the National Corn Growers Association. Also, on Thursday at 12.30 in the Learning Lounge, I'll be facilitating NCGA's panel discussion with special guests from the USMEF and Port of New Orleans on what you need to know about the value of trade and exports to your operation. We'll see you in New Orleans. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, early on, saw a bit of profit taking in the grain and oilseed trade on this Tuesday and now seeing a little more mixed activity. Quarter wheat finding a little bit of buying strength, soybeans still under a little bit of profit taking pressure overall here across the grains and oilseeds. We see that these markets, they've been moving higher on the back of a decent soy complex led run up at recent sessions, but seeing a bit of this uh, profit taking here today, we'll have to watch it closely. Weather remains in focus. 
focus as this is a fairly slow fundamental time period. We got a lot to really keep an eye on weather-wise here in the U.S. for winter wheat prospects, which are a little bit better thanks to recent precipitation. And also South America got a big split between a wet Brazil and a dry Argentina. And there's positive and negatives to the wet weather in Brazil. It's allowed for the potential for a record crop, but also harvest delays for soybeans and subsequent corn planting of that safrita crop. So a lot of things to take in here weather-wise that we're keeping an eye on. Also watching the Federal Reserve, they start their two-day February policy meeting today. We expect, it's widely expected, a 25 basis point rate hike of the federal funds target rate tomorrow. And we'll see how much that impacts the outside markets and how much that weighs into commodities. Cattle futures mixed here. Feeder cattle finding a little bit of buying strength so far today. We have that cattle inventory report coming up here today. It's widely expected that we'll see the beef cow herd down 4.2%, which would be the lowest beef cow herd on record. And the calf crop expected to be down 2.8%. So watching that closely. In hogs, disappointing uh, day yesterday and looking like that again today. Front month February continues. Continuing to show plenty of weakness as it converges to the cash market. This is AOA. I'm Jesse Allen. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, folks, welcome back to AOA. You know, we just talked about some policy changes taking place over in California, and we've got some proposed policy changes coming out of Washington, D.C. Of course, Congress is back in session, the 108th Congress, the Congress that will be discussing the 2023 Farm Bill. We're starting to get a feel for the issues in agriculture that they're concerned about. Joining us today for an update on these issues is Josh Baitke. He's the Farm Progress Policy Editor over there. And Josh, thank you so much for joining us here today. Let's start talking about some of the bills that have been introduced. And the first one I'd like to pick your brain on came from Tommy Tuberville of Alabama. This is the Farm Act, Josh. This is the a bill that would, as I understand it, try to prevent foreigners, uh, foreign adversaries, from buying farm assets. Is Am I getting the gist of it right? Yeah, basically it would give uh, Congress a little more oversight over foreign investment in agriculture. Uh, the uh, you know agriculture uh, secretary would be added uh, have a little more oversight over it, and uh, just looking to just kind of uh, limit limit the uh, limit the amount of uh, influence owners have. You know, even though they only make up about uh, 1.8%, I believe, of all agriculture land, there's some concern about you know growing foreign influence. So that was released uh, or announced last week, and uh, we'll see where that goes. We will indeed. And that this is building on a trend, Josh, that I have heard from a number of different states concerned in a lot of places about Chinese influence in particular, but that's certainly not the only foreign adversary being discussed. Is there is there enough momentum, uh, as you understand it already, to, to keep this bill moving forward? What are discussions on the Farm Act so far? You know, uh, it, it was introduced in 2021. It didn't really go anywhere after that. Uh, so it kind of remains to be seen. Uh, you know, if this is, you know, grandstanding or if this has a chance of going somewhere, you know, obviously with uh, the small margin in Congress, you know, anything is possible right now. So I think that remains to be seen. I don't think people think it's going to necessarily pass, but again, you never know. 
That is true. You never know, but we can kind of get a sense for who all has signed on already. Does this Farm Act have a bipartisan support network or is it, or is it partisan at this point? At this point, it is uh, bipartisan, but I wouldn't call the support uh, overwhelming, but there are uh, members of both parties signed on to it. So. All right. Lots to keep watching. Do we have any votes or any other committee actions coming ahead on this Farm Act or are discussions just starting to get underway? You know, it, they're just starting to get underway right now. Uh, it was just introduced last week, and uh, you know, I don't think that's been announced yet, but we're definitely keeping an eye on that. But I would expect to have some movement later, uh, you know, next couple of months, and, and just kind of see where it goes from there. All right. And so now that Farm Act was introduced on the Senate, if uh, Senate side, if I understand correctly. And so I'd like to take our focus, Josh, over to the House side, if we could, because we're getting the members here on the House Ag Committee. We had the Republicans announced last week. I understand we've got a feel for the Democrat reps on the Ag Committee right now. Are there any big surprises so far in the announcements? I, I don't think there's any big surprises. You know, obviously there was a uh, large number of uh, freshman Democrats on there, but I think that was to be expected. Uh, overall, the top ranking members, uh, you know, remain the same. And uh, so I don't really think there are any surprises in there. Um, I think they, they, they uh, look to, you know, try to get a more diverse coalition on here this time. It's something they've been uh, advocating for in the past. But so I don't really think that was a surprise and that was kind of to be expected. Okay, so we've got the Democrats in. No big shockers there. We've got, yes, as you mentioned, Josh, a lot of freshmen here on the Ag Committee. Has the uh, Have you heard, are the associations getting out? Are we starting to have meetings to bring these freshman legislators up to speed on ag issues? You know, I've heard, I've heard a lot of talk behind the scenes, you know, that, uh, that there's been some concern on that. I know uh, last month at the Farm Bureau Federation Convention, I was concerned of uh, some of the members and the uh, uh, you know, the leadership there uh, didn't seem to think that would be an issue. I'm sure the talks are going on behind the scenes. So publicly so far, you know, I, there haven't been any you know, education sessions announced, if you will, but I mean, I'm sure that's going on behind the scenes as we speak. I'm sure you're right. Everybody's leaning on those connections they have in D.C. to try to make sure everybody's on the right page. And Josh, that education, the uh, the teaching about what happens here in rural America is so crucial, particularly when we get behind the scenes of the legislative process and we get into the regulatory process. I want to turn our focus to a story you wrote uh, late last week about a move here from the EPA. They've been sued and they are looking to change how they uh, how how. CAFOs, Confined Animal Feeding Operations, impact water quality. Can you bring us up to speed on what EPA is looking at doing here? Yeah, you know, this is something I think EPA was really reluctant to get into. You know, this goes back to uh, a lawsuit that or it actually gives technically a petition that, that was uh, uh, issued at EPA more than five years ago by a coalition of environmental groups. Uh, you know, demanding that, that EPA look into uh, and evaluate some of the standards, how cables are regulated. You know, they contend that they are, uh, that there's loopholes in, in the rules that are allowing uh, livestock operations to get away with more water pollution than they should. Uh, you know, EPA uh, never funded to this uh, action. Um, and finally, last year, a uh, one environmental group uh, Present a lawsuit to uh, you know challenge it to try to try to put their feet to the fire and you know finally EPA uh, you know appears to have given in and says they're at least going to examine the issue and that could lead to more stringent regulations on the capitals. It could, and I understand this is coming under the Clean Water Act, which of course is being legislated at the Sackett case at the Supreme Court. But the EPA is not known for being terribly fast acting. Josh, do we have an expectation as to when these new rules could be rolled out, or when we could see something from EPA on this issue? You know, at this point, there's no expectation on that. I mean, I think you know, there's some perception that maybe this was just, uh, you know, done. That's a that kind of. Uh, get the pressure of the lawsuit out to show that they're they're doing something on it, but I wouldn't expect any action on it any kind of in the short term future. All right, so no real no real action, but certainly more oversight potentially coming down from the EPA. Josh, one of the other topics that is floating around in Washington D.C. was a bill introduced that would really sort of radically adjust the tax code, and that's the fair tax bill. It, what have you heard so far on the likelihood of it making it to, for a discussion here in either the House or the Senate? 
You know, I, I think this is one of those things that is, is kind of unique to, to the makeup of the Senate or to, to both branches of the Congress and the political climate at this time. I think normally uh, something like this wouldn't have a chance of passing, uh, you know, but again, with, with all the, you know, the grandstanding going on these days, you know, uh, it, it kind of remains to be seen. I think odds are this, this will not uh, get very far. Uh, but again, you never know. It's, nobody would have thought it would have gotten this far a few years ago, and here we are. So. But who's to say? So I, I think you'll see some ongoing discussions on it. But as far as it's ever, uh, you know, becoming a reality, I, I would think that's a long way off. But um, again, who knows? Crazier things have happened, right? Indeed. I mean, big shakeups come and they often come when we least expect it. But it, as I understand it, I have not dug deeply into this fair tax bill, but Josh, basically we're looking at effectively throwing out the tax code, the income tax code, and instead moving everything to a sales tax proposal. Is Am I getting the gist of it? Yeah, that, that that's basically the gist of it, and and I think I think the issue is is, is how do you make that math work? While you know when people, uh, you know, proposing this bill at the same time are are you know opposed to pretty much any tax increases, and in fact, uh, you know, uh, and not looking to cut defense spending. So here the question becomes, you know, where does the money come from? You know, and I think that's 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 what remains to be seen because right now, uh, you know, all the math shows that this, you know, would not work without, you know, major changes to the way that uh, you know, our federal government's run. Indeed. You know, it's always good to hear hear fresh ideas being discussed, even if they don't go anywhere, at least to get those ideas out there. You never know what can come from them long term. Speaking of getting ideas out there, Josh, we've got an ag industry and a food industry looking to get their ideas for the 2023 Farm Bill into that piece of legislation. On the House or the Senate side, do we have any hearings coming up? Are they starting that process? Yeah, actually, the uh, the Senate hearings begin uh, tomorrow. Uh, this is the first one this year. They're they're, uh, they're they're closed to the public this time, but tomorrow they're going to be talking um, about the um, uh, ah, horticulture, I believe. Yeah, sorry. And uh, you know, the Senate hearing schedule is the ninth, ninth, and the sixteenth, and on to March first. I know that we're going to be getting some news out of that. Um, and you know, all of, all the members of the committees are still soliciting input from from the public. So. Uh, people that have something they want to say should definitely reach out to them and, and make the voices heard. Josh, I'm curious, as a political reporter, of course, you would love to be able to see these discussions as they're happening. But when these meetings are closed, do you just have to wait for a a, a, a minutes from the meeting in order to uh, to understand what was discussed at a hearing like the one happening tomorrow? You know, we, we we do have access to some of that, you know, and it's also just a matter of, of uh, you know, kind of working the connections. Uh, there's a small amount of media allowed in there, and, you know, obviously there's lots of people in Washington that like to talk, so it's not always straightforward. But usually, you know, what happens in there uh, leaks out uh, beyond just uh, the minutes of the release. All right. So we'll be relying on you and your connections in order to get that information from that hearing here tomorrow. And of course, the House Ag Committee, have they announced any hearings as of yet? Do you know, Josh? Uh, I don't believe so. I think that that should be coming up shortly, but I don't know, think anything is on the schedule at this point. All right, folks, stay tuned, because these things, when they do start coming, they will be coming. And as Josh mentioned, it is the time in a lot of ways to get those voices out there, get that input into the folks in D.C. who will be shaping this. We've been speaking with Josh Bakey, the farm policy or excuse me, the farm progress policy reporter. Josh, thank you so much for joining us today. And tell our listeners, where can they read your writing? Uh, Farmprogress.com. You can find all my writing on there. And uh, we'd uh, definitely take a look at it and give us some feedback on it. Absolutely. Keep up to speed with what's happening in Washington. Josh, thank you so much for joining us. And folks, stick around. We'll have more AOA coming up right after this. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. 
I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and the feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve together, we can make a difference bite by bite. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, we're talking with Joe Lardy, market analyst with CHS Hedging. And Joe, now it has been a few weeks since the USDA released their World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates. How did that change your interpretation of the markets? Now going forward, the thing that I'm really focused on is going to be the demand side of the equation. It really comes down to some of the subtle changes that the USDA made that I think are going to be really important. One of the things that they did was they took down Chinese soybean imports by 2 million tons. And most of the time, people would look at a, a change like that and go, oh, 2 million tons, that's not huge. But that's kind of showing a trend out of China that we as big soybean exporters don't want to see. We wanted to see China over that 100 million ton mark. We're just not seeing that. And that's really troublesome for me, especially on top of potentially a record crop coming out of Brazil. So there's just not as much demand as I'd like to see. And there's more competition in the market than I'd like to see. Well, Joe, we are getting closer to springtime. Is there anything producers need to have in mind for their marketing this time of year? I think it's going to be a really interesting spring just with what are we going to plant? We're looking at all of our balance sheets, corn, wheat, beans, and they're all kind of demanding more acres. So I think that's going to make the markets really dynamic for sure going into the spring. And also one of the brokers in CHS Hedging did a really interesting study comparing that January high to the rest of the year. And going back to 1994, we've eclipsed the January high sometime throughout the year in every time, but two years in corn and only once in beans. And so it's pretty safe to say that once we know what that January high is, we'll use the month of February to set the insurance price. We're going to have two really important data points in which we can compare our marketing plan then for the rest of the year. Folks, that's Joe Lardy, markets analyst with CHS Hedging. Thank you for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. Pride. It runs deep for those in agriculture. But that pride can also prevent farmers from asking for help when it's needed most. An injury, illness, or natural disaster is a heavy burden for any operation to bear. Farm Rescue is here to help shoulder that burden. We are a nonprofit organization helping farm families in crisis with free planting, haying, and harvesting assistance. There is no pride lost when it comes to Farm Rescue. Learn more at farmrescue.org. Are you heading to NCBA in New Orleans? On Thursday, February 2nd, stop by the Christian Hansen booth, number 1639, for some exciting live radio. I'll be broadcasting AOA live from the Christian Hansen booth. That's number 1639 from 9 to 10 a.m. on Thursday. On Friday, stop by the Learning Lounge. At 1130, I'll be facilitating Christian Hansen's panel discussion on the benefits from the daily consumption of probiotics in beef cattle. We'll see you in New Orleans. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson.
question from the United States Federal Reserve on Wednesday. It will be February 1st. That is the next time Fed's Open Market Committee is set to announce their hikes, or expected hikes, I should say, in the federal funds rate. As we heard earlier from our conversation with Chris Winward, the trade had been anticipating the Fed to bump interest rates 50 basis points, half a percentage point on that Fed funds rate. But now, as we've gotten more data showing that the inflation concerns might be slowing down, the market is anticipating the Fed to only add 25 basis points to the Fed funds rate tomorrow. The interest, uh, the increase of about a quarter of a percentage point. It would put that two-day tar, excuse me, that uh, that target range to four and a half to 4.75, and this comes after five straight hikes in the Federal Reserve's borrowing rate for banks. It has moved from practically zero up to nearly 5% in the past 15 months, and it is expected to continue moving forward, however, with an important caveat. On the Federal Reserve Board, their Board of Governors, they've got 16 different folks whose job it is to vote on what the Fed does. And of course, these governors all have different perspectives on what's happening with the economy. And of course, they all have different perspectives on how the Fed should act. One of the most aggressive hawks on the Board of Governors is Governor Christopher Waller. And he was a very early advocate for jumping interest rates in 2021. And then again in 2022, he had been pushing very hard. He now is coming out and he is even saying, look, when we get to March, if there continues to be evidence that inflation is slowing down, I would be on board with the Federal Reserve pausing their interest rate hike. So it does sound like we are getting to a point where the Fed is going to cool off their rate hikes, give the economy time to adjust to these new numbers, take a sense of where things need to go from here. We'll continue to watch that. Do expect that as of now, a 25% basis hike in the uh, Fed funds rate tomorrow. And if it's more, as Chris mentioned this morning, if it's more than that, it could certainly throw some bearish clouds over the markets in a large part, the cattle trade. One other issue that we have been talking about this time of year is population across countries around the world. It was announced here about three weeks ago that for the first time in 60 years, the Chinese population has started to decline as their fertility rate continues to drop. We've got good news here on this side of the Pacific Ocean. Fertility rates in the U.S. increased in 2021. That was the first time those rates have jumped up since 2014. We don't yet have the data quite yet for 2022. But the 2021 total fertility rate, so this is a fraction. We're calculating the number of births per woman across their lifetime. Uh, no, excuse me, I'm looking at the wrong statistics. Gosh darn it, these CDC data is hard to understand. The fertility rate for 2021 was 56.3 births per 1,000 women. And this is in the 15 to 44 year old age range. They also track younger uh, women giving birth. That had no change from, uh, from any year prior. And over 44 saw no change in birth rates. But the fertility rate amongst those key childbearing ages continues to climb. First time since 2014, or excuse me, the largest jump since 2014. Seeing some movement here, new folks coming to the table here in the United States of America. We do see some trends still in place. The average age for pregnancy continues to push older. The average age for a pregnant person at first birth right now is 27.3 years old. Back in 2020, it was 27.1. Folks are pushing those, those uh, childbearing years to later in life. Interesting thing happened yesterday in Washington, D.C. If you live in the world of agriculture, no doubt you're familiar with Secretary of Ag Earl Butts. He was Secretary of Agriculture culture in the 1970s worked with the ag industry as that growth happened and that commodity boom of the 70s exploded and he was known or, or he was known for saying that farmers should quote get big or get out it was time to plant fence row to fence row well, that was 40 years ago, and times are changing. Yesterday, our current Secretary of Agriculture, Tom Vilsack, gave a presentation to the National Sustainable Agriculture Coalition. They're an advocacy group pushing to see some additional sustainability changes here in this next farm bill. And he said, quote, we believe there is a better alternative than get big or go out. He looked at promoting USDA's work continuing to grow small and medium-sized scale meat processing capacity. Obviously, he was promoting the climate climate-friendly practices that this administration has been supportive of, and he highlighted the increase in domestic fertilizer production 
All of this, he said, is designed to encourage more competition, help enrich rural communities, and make farming more environmentally friendly. It's interesting how things change from one circle to another. We've spoken on this show many times over the past year about the impacts of supply chains on our businesses, folks. And I have maintained that these supply chain disruptions are not over as of yet. There is still a big labor issue floating around in the logistics industry, and this is the West Coast Port Workers. So as of right now, the negotiations between Pacific Maritime Association and the union that represents 22,000 different workers at 29 ports up and down the West Coast. Those negotiations have been ongoing since May of 2022. They are not showing any signs of progress. According to the Wall Street Journal, shipping industry and Biden administration officials really were hoping this was going to be buttoned up by last October. Both sides had committed to that. However, they have not come to an agreement on major contract provisions, notably, just like in a lot of the other labor disputes we've had, wage increases and the use of automated machinery. They don't like to see automation coming into the ports and relieving dock workers of those jobs. Now, these workers have been working without a contract since July 1st of 2022, and the risk of a strike continues to rise the longer this goes on. As of right now, it does sound like negotiations have been fairly friendly. Importers and retailers continue moving cargo in. The ports are still operating. But this issue could pop back up as we get a little closer into this summer. Folks, thanks for listening to AOA Today. Be sure to tune in the rest of this week. We'll be on location in New Orleans, Louisiana, with our friends from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association at their CattleCon. If you're down there, give us a wave. Be sure to say hello, and maybe we'll put you on the air. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time for more AOA. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home and you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help? Then we have good news for you. Foreclosure Protection Services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect that may save your home. Call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. 800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council.